0: psychotherapist, three of us Canadian, one of us Americans, to review cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California.
1: And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from Coquitlam.
2: And I'm Joanna Boyd, also a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area.
3: I'm Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from Coquitlam
0: right on welcome back joe
2: thank you yeah. although i hear that i may have been part of the beginning of the podcast <laughs> last yes. week yes yeah.
1: mm-hmm. brooke is-
0: used her excellent improvisational and
3: <laughs> <laughs> she became uh, you. i'm looking
1: forward to listening to yeah. it it's what you would sound like if you were a chipmunk okay
3: or had some helium
1: sure. yeah so <laughs> perfect
3: or yeah. if you sounded or if you sounded eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: sheesh. Brothers and sisters, look at you guys going at it. Wow. Well, you were missed, Joe, but you came back on the right night because we're here to talk about Black Swan, the, the book, book club. The book club is tonight. We're looking forward to it.
1: And you are the singer for the intro song for this, aren't you?
0: Yes, she is. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. We have to do a little banter here first.
1: Sure. What would you like to banter about? Our province is on fire.
0: Oh, that's unfortunate, yeah. 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 You guys are burning down. Is it smoky there or is it more to the east of you?
1: No, it's to the east of where we are. So it was hazy today, but I'm not sure if that was fire smoke that's blown over this way or what? I don't, smell it. Yeah, I don't I mean smell it. I don't smell it
2: outside.
1: No. but it kind of looks as if it were smoggy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful
0: sunset then, maybe? Do you get that little perk?
1: Um, kind of like apocalyptic.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, oh,
1: just checking might consider our...
0: that beautiful. I don't know
1: yeah yeah okay so current provincial fires provincial current year fires so 1079 fires wow or uh right now which this week there were 133 new fires
0: wow you guys having lightning storms or something is that what's setting them off
1: last um, week we had some
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I guess when there's that many, California gets really bad fires too. So I was reading an article about it and um, when there's that many forest fires or when they're really big, they create their own weather system Mm. because of the smoke and the heat and all the, all the things. But that weather system typically involves lightning, which then obviously starts more fires, So it perpetuates itself. Nasty. Yeah. So own ecosystem there. So yeah. wow mm-hmm. so everybody uh yeah just there's a lot of evacuation alerts and things for people across the province and hmm. we'll all keep our eyes open and support each other
0: well i wish you all the best up there watch mm-hmm. out last year it was so gross and smoky down here and up there let's hope the west doesn't completely ignite this year
1: yes yeah, yeah. so you had a really bad one last year you guys you know. yeah, we all did
0: it was gross all up and down the west coast it was- disgusting yeah um speaking of some of that we actually have a we we have gone backwards in our covid restrictions here
1: really yeah
0: yes we just got news today that uh masks indoor masks are mandatory or will be mandatory as of this weekend so oh man here in la los angeles county so the uh uh, this this whole Delta variant has been uh, wreaking havoc, and cases of rise risen again. And so they're using a lot of caution and saying, "Put those masks back on, everybody." So that's that's a little different for us.
2: It is. I wonder if that will be. It's hard to say if because you opened up before us, but mm-hmm. I don't know if the levels of back, who has a vaccine and those numbers are similar, but we're kind of in that place only for a week now or two weeks, I guess, right? Yeah. Which is weird still. It is. But that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. My hope is that that doesn't disrupt things like school, things like that, that are coming up later on this summer. So, but we'll see. So fires and Covid, this is just like last summer. What do you know?
1: Here we are.
0: Here We're we are again. That's right. Just like last summer, about this time when we first started the podcast. This is that
2: yeah. wild? Is that is this our one year?
0: I am double checking. No, it's close though. Our one year is the twentieth.
2: So next Tuesday. Yeah. next Tuesday, next Tuesday.
3: Yeah, next Tuesday. So basically a year. Yeah, basically we've got on a year of these things.
2: Wow.
3: It's probably a good time to remind people that we do have a mental health boot camp (laughs) program.
2: Well, yeah, we usually do that once a quarter. So, yeah, that makes sense for what we're doing. One every six podcasts, maybe.
3: Um, On another note, back to the COVID COVID situation. Um, I've been watching the show Bosch. That's on Amazon Prime. And it's based a a detective show out of uh, Los Angeles there. And they actually, it was uh, taking place in January of 2020. So they actually start to talk about COVID popping up. And they made some jokes during their uh, New Year celebration, like 2020 is going to be the best year ever and and whatnot. So it was filmed after COVID, of course, but they started. And then uh, little snippets of that throughout the show. Uh So was it full-blown masks and lockdown i think they're gonna skip that part um the season wow. kind of wrapped up before all that went sideways but kind of building on our conversation from last week with tv and movies it's kind of neat to see or interesting to see how they're going to handle this whole covid pandemic
0: that is true that's right i've heard some people saying that they're they're but like Hollywood is getting a lot of pitches for for COVID stories and they're just kind of turning them down because they're like no one wants to hear more about this.
2: <laughs> oh really?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no one really wants to hear more. We've heard so much about this for the last year. Enough. Maybe in a couple of years, we'll see.
3: Yeah. Did you hear that from Mandy Moore at the, uh, the gym there or yeah. close by in Pasadena?
0: You guys are you guys knew that Mandy Moore lived in Pasadena before I did,
3: so yeah. I don't. No, I think Joanna knew that. But. Oh, okay. No,
2: I thought you, didn't Hello. you share that fun fact or did I share the fun fact?
3: You shared I the fun Ryan fact.
0: Did. I shared a couple about a couple of other local celebrities
3: that are in yeah, the area. Are I yep. can't imagine Ryan would mention Mandy Moore in this list of top five celebrities who live in Pasadena.
0: Honestly, I can't even picture her, <laughs> so I'm not really sure, but Sorry. Sorry.
3: Just to offer some context to those listening, Joanna uh, had loved this movie back in the day. What was it called? A Walk to Remember.
2: Yep.
3: with Mandy Moore. And uh, so, growing up, she probably watched it probably what fifty eight times, and she had posters in her room. And
2: <laughs> I was part of fan
3: clubs. at a fan club
2: <laughs> online, even yeah. to the point of like the main actor having a band, and I would like follow the band. Anyways, yeah.
3: Yeah. Who's that? Shane West. Yeah.
2: Look at you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That who was, was, who great... was in the
3: fan club,
0: Chris? Was it
1: you? <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> the truth. No, I uh, was in the
3: uh I was in the X Files fan club. Oh good. Yeah, from that's back good in the too. day. I love it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. Um send us your fan club mem- uh, recommendations, people. Uh info at mental bootcamp.com. <laughs> and uh be sure to check out our boot camp 25 days of wellness exercises for the low, low price of 39 bucks. And that's, that's it.
3: Yeah. And if you sign up and don't think it's a good fit for you, that's okay. We'll give you your money back. This is important to us that it's, uh, that it is a good fit for you because obviously there's lots of programs out there. So risk-free.
0: Risk-free. My goodness. Money back guarantee. What do you know? That's pretty good. Okay, let's get time to get to the topic at oh, hand. No more <sighs> dilly dallying.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: All right, everyone, pause for a second as we listen to Joanna's rendition of the book club song Goat. Awesome! Way to go, Joe.
2: Book club.
3: <laughs> book, club. Catchy yeah.
1: too.
3: book club. It's a it's it is a catchy, catchy tune. For
1: book club. <laughs> it's it's
0: good stuff, really. I don't know, yeah, I don't know. where you top came top up top. with that. Yeah,
1: so, uh, I have to say I enjoy Joanna's book club song way more than this book.
0: Oh right. starting off throw a dagger so
1: out there so um okay <laughs> so uh, who here finished the book Ryan. So yeah so I, I skipped, I skipped ahead
3: towards the end there, yeah.
1: I uh did everyone everyone listened to the book? Is that right? I listened, Joanna, yep. Kristen. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just looking on my audible and I still have 10 hours and 43 minutes remaining. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. So That's you just four got. hours. Yeah. Wow. It was, anyway. So uh, okay. I have some, some thoughts about why I didn't connect very well with the book.
0: Some thoughts but on the,
3: on the first third of the book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jump right into it. What are, you, what are your thoughts?
1: You guys don't want to go? No. Everyone's going to wait. I
2: yeah I just also had a hard time um I felt like I was like <laughs> Felix like in like a beautiful mind where like Russell Crowe's looking at the board of is that the movie where he's looking at all the math and stuff and all the the things I don't know if that's the sh- maybe I'm thinking something different but yeah. I just um yeah I felt like I was listening to a bit of a different language I think it's just this very cognitive heavy and very I was like, I think I need to keep going back thirty seconds because I don't think I actually soaked that in. And I found that for the good, a good first many chapters. So I had a tough one. It was a tough one for me. Yeah,
1: yeah, I didn't feel that it was uh, very accessible for an everyday reader. Um, You just the concepts and the language. I was not. (laughs) I personally was not prepared for that. Mm. and so i think that was part of it I, I feel if i knowing what the book is now maybe i would dig into it um and i felt uh we can get into this more later if you guys share too but at times i felt i was being scolded by the mm-hmm. author that um or patronized or put like yeah
0: wait were you I mean, listening to the gift or are you listening to black swan <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's definitely listening to Black Swan. Yeah, so it was just very, yeah, very theoretical, very heavy, yeah, very dense. Um, I think it takes a special person to want to read the book and really dive into it. Very interesting, the topics, if you really want to like sink into the topics. I just, I think it wasn't what I was expecting.
0: Okay. All right. Chris, do you want to say something or shall I
3: jump in? Um yeah, extremely philosophical. My goodness. Um a lot of references. The first few chapters especially were, were quite heavy. I agree with Joanna. I had to go back quite a few times and just try to conceptualize what he was saying. Uh, I agree with Brooke, not the most accessible. Uh, I think it didn't, uh to me, it didn't have the the nicest tone to it. Like it was almost like a intellectual arrogance to it, I felt. Um as he kind of, uh, using terms like nerds and and uh, fakers and and posers and, and phonies and stuff like that. Um, I, I think he wrote this book, I, I think he set out to, to create a project that could, um, well, let's say it this way, I guess early on, he said that he would like to add and be considered a, a philosopher, right? So I don't think he was writing this for, for us or the average reader. I think he was writing it for intellectuals and and uh, philosophers like those who are very passionate about, passionate about those areas. Uh, just the language he was using and the level of sophistication was it's going to be above a lot of people's heads. There's a lot there though and I will get into the the details of it uh, once sure. we get Brian's uh, first impression of it. But lots of intriguing information and lots of stuff to ponder. Yeah. Uh definitely changed my perspective on on some things. So we'll get into that part of it. So I think it was uh enjoyable in lots lots of ways, but yeah, very heavy.
0: Agreed, heavy. I uh <laughs> I thought you guys were going to mention the fact that he he slams the French about uh every few few chapters or so. He gives a, a hard time. He says, you know, this this concept so simple even a Frenchman could handle it
3: um right, business executives or yeah. or yeah he goes after lots of so-called experts right he does yeah. i
0: don't know what beef he has with the french in particular but that <laughs> he really had a real bone to pick with the french um i i will agree with you i i didn't know going into it either brooke kind of what i knew it was wildly popular you know it's a bestseller uh 13 14 years ago um a lot of people were reading it and uh and I knew that it had something to do with psychology, and it, and it does, but it's an interesting book where there's an intersection of psychology, philosophy, and and he come, the field that he really comes from is economics. And so there's so much there about how um, his whole kind of premise, and I'm sure Chris will dive into this a little bit more, but he came to this because he was um, seeing kind of the, the foolhardiness of people looking at um market trends and Mm -hmm. and trying to read into them and see you know oh well why did this happen and why did this happen oh the, the stock market dropped and people always want to ascribe a reason to that why did this happen and he just wanted to point out that some things are just black swans they're just kind of flukes they just sort of happen this randomness sort of happens sometimes and even though our our human brains try to ascribe meaning to it we, we can't always do that this is this is his premise mm-hmm. um so he would talk about things like 9 11 we couldn't have predicted that and the impact it would have on on the country or the world mm-hmm. or um this book was actually written before the uh the stock market crash of 2008 but uh it became wildly popular after that because that people a lot of people viewed that as a as a black swan as well even though there were indications that this might happen in the market so anyway the point being that he does weave together three kind of three or more fields that are kind of unlikely bedfellows with uh, philosophy, psychology, and economics. And uh, and yes, there's certainly an arrogance to the way he he speaks and uh, and kind of pooh-poos other people's ideas that uh, I'm sure makes him the hero of some and and the enemy of a lot too. So that was kind of my first impression as well.
3: Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. He talked about how some people really think within the box, and I think he used the term kind of the nerds, those who excel academically, but then he really praises those who kind of think out of the box, and I think he sees himself in that kind of light, Mm -hmm. so you kind of go after those, and uh, those who kind of think in a more academic or traditional way. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Now, um, obviously, I didn't even get close to half of the book, so Part, uh, part of the reason as well that I stopped reading, yeah, like it was thick and all the rest of it, um, but this whole, um, as a reader, like I said, I, I felt like I was being, like a finger was wagging in my face, like you're foolish for falling into these traps mm-hmm. um, for thinking in the box or trying to find reason or meaning. And um even though we know from a psychological perspective, these things, the reason that we don't ask questions, like um, we do have stereotypes or assumptions because that becomes automatic thought so that our brain can operate faster. Like it's, it's functional for our evolution, why we do the things we do, like why we don't question absolutely everything um, and why we think in certain patterns and that's evolved so that we, and our brains can move forward with the things that are important to us. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was kind of like you, you foolish human for falling into this trap when really that was our evolutionary development. So I'm curious for those who got further, did he go into, Hey, let's validate why this happens. Let's validate why people are looking for meaning or, Um, what purpose this served us and how we got there, or I don't know, was that part of the book later on? Did I just not get there?
0: Yeah, I think he touches on that a bit. Uh, I mean, he doesn't go too deep into um, evolution. I think he touches on some of those topics though, but he gets into why, you know, as we're 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 meaning creating creatures and we want to look at something and because we want to be prepared for the next thing that happens so we're trying to think look back and see okay if uh if this you know if if the uh if 11 happened back then and we don't want that to happen again in the future then what do we need to do to prepare to to protect ourselves from the next time that happens right and he says that that's kind of futile because uh I mean, that, that was a black swan, that's something that's not likely to happen again, at least in that particular way. And as much as we try, you know, people are still, we still take off our shoes at the airport. There are different things that people do that are kind of theatrical safety measures that uh, don't necessarily protect us from the next 9-11, um, but, uh, but we do it anyway. And
1: Which is, I don't know, it's so interesting about that one, especially like when 9-11 versus I don't, I don't know, can't even think of another one right now, but some other complete random uh, act, but yeah, nobody thought that somebody could run a four minute mile, right? Yeah. And then somebody did run a four minute mile. And now a bunch of people have run a four minute mile. So a four minute mile was a black swan at one point. Sure. But now it's not. And so who's to say some of these events where he's saying, calling people out like this is futile because it's a black swan, but without those precautions, maybe it would become a white swan. Maybe it would become more common because people would say, wow, I never thought about that. You can do that. I can replicate that. Hmm. I don't I feel know.
2: Like a, yeah, I feel like a lot of things would be black swans as like over time, right? Like we didn't know we could do this. Now we can. Like it's almost discovering life and what we're able to do. And I don't yeah. know. Well would, some, yeah, sorry. I
0: was just gonna say at, at one point in the book, I found it pretty, pretty interesting. He says, um, you know, the whole point is that we can't really predict what the next black swan will be. He says we can we can predict with some um you know some reliability that something will happen. So he he says he comes people come up to the conferences all the time and say, Hey, what's the next black swan going to be and he said you know by its very nature i'm not going to be able to predict that i can say that there will be some catastrophe some some worldwide catastrophe that will happen in the next uh century or half century but i can't tell you what that will be and here we are in the COVID, you know so i know i thought
1: about that
0: too a little like, bit we are of a
1: black swan yeah, yeah.
0: But, but but are we because that's because here are the where the critics come in because the critics say is it really a black swan people have been predicting a pandemic for a long time you know the Obama administration book, yeah. had a had a had a book to prepare for it. You know, I mean, this is something that's people have been talking about. We have movies that are depicting pandemics, you know, including the movie Pandemic or Outbreak. Yeah. Um, and so, is it really that that far fetched, uh, yeah. or have people some some people have been thinking about these things, you know?
3: Another just to hmm. switch gears a bit, he talked a bit about the narrative fallacy, right? Yes. So you see, when looking back at history, we tend to construct an interpretation that fits into a nice story, when it is likely that what were actually uh, occurred was much more random and unplanned. We want to believe there was a nice, clear progression and that it was predictable when it really wasn't, right? Yeah. So really um, talking about how, um, yeah, okay, developing these stories or, or this narrative is often uh, inaccurate, right? But we actually use um, constructing a coherent narrative a lot in therapy. Like I was, I was actually connecting with the client today and, and, um, and the probabilities came into it. I know he has a lot of things to say about probabilities as well. As We do our best to anticipate um, things happening in the future and often we're, we're very wrong, right? But is there what's wrong with helping someone construct a nice little story or trying to make sense of the past if it actually helps them out psychologically? I guess, is what I'm curious about.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> What's wrong with that? Is that mean you're saying exactly yeah. to that, Brooke?
1: Like, what is, like, yeah, like why, I guess I'm a little bit confused on what he wants the, the reader to take away from his book, what he wants the reader to feel after reading his book. Is it powerlessness or is it, encouragement is it like what I, I was just really confused about that because i'm like as a reader i'm not feeling good reading this book
0: i think actually brooke one of the things that was sort of a takeaway and maybe maybe a bit of a tell about that point um it was when he's actually he was talking more about economic plans and because he, and, he worked a lot with stock brokerage firms and things like talking trying to predict things and and whole view was no you can't really predict much of that so people were saying you know look how do we how do we make sure make sure that our portfolios grow over time you know what's the best method to use and he said i think you should put 85 percent of your money into very conservative like stocks or bond bonds and things that are like slow growth that will uh really never drop or very low likelihood that they're ever going to drop and just kind of plug along. And then 15%, you put into more kind of wilder speculative things that may have a high upside or, or you may lose it all, but these more kind of risky stuff. And I think that's sort of his philosophy for life, basically, that Mm -hmm. really, I think, you know, he says, for the most part, be, be safe, be kind of conservative in what you do and what you're, um, what you're shooting for in your life, be kind of, uh, you know, risk averse for the most part. But for a small portion, fifteen percent, yeah, that's where you can go ahead and and go wild and you know shoot for yeah. shoot for superstardom or something like that. So it would be like, you know, if you're if you're a rock star, if you want to be a rock, if you're an aspiring rock star, then make make sure you have a day job and then you know do fifteen uh, percent of your your time spent on superstardom.
3: Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting about the the, the narrative piece again is again i help clients i had a client i saw recently and and uh he got in a car accident so often we talk about probabilities this this author doesn't necessarily like probabilities a lot that much because it doesn't take into account black swans right so we're often off uh, like he talks a lot about the bell curve and now uh, he doesn't like the bell curve so it kind of shifted uh, my therapeutic approach actually because for a while we we're talking about probabilities of him getting in another car accident he's already been in two right on the way to our session, he on his he showed me on his car cam that a truck swerved in front of him and he was kind of rattled by that because uh, if he was closer to it, he might've got swiped by this car, right? So he said, this is proof that maybe it's not safe for me to drive again, right? So I was taken aback by that because I'm like, well, taking into account the whole black swan idea and these two accidents he had were absolutely unpredictable like he's a very defensive driver so i'm like he's uh, he's kind of right i can't we can go off uh, off of probabilities but there's a chance that something awful may happen to him again right so um instead we had to call a spade a spade and kind of shift the perspective a bit you know moving in the direction of radical acceptance and and okay if that's the case then what does that mean what is there a pivot you can make in your life as a result of that right because this author actually talks, uh, Taleb talks a lot about um, what we've called, talk uh, referred to as metrics. Right? He said, "Missing a train is only painful if you run after it, if you allow yourself to care." Um, so he was saying that you got to be very careful about um, um, uh, focusing on things that you have control over. Right?
0: Sure. Focus on things you have control over, and the probabilities piece. One of the examples that he uses a lot that I I like I liked was this uh, was about the turkey, right? So you have so turkey is born and is fed and cared for every day for a thousand days, and uh, and in that likelihood that probability would say that on day one thousand and one the turkey is going to be cared for and fed and everything's going to be fine, but on day one thousand and one happens to be the day before Thanksgiving and (laughs) <laughs> the turkey becomes the main course right so yeah so you can't for the
1: turkey it was a black swan not yes. for the people but, but, but not, not for the, the people
0: not for the people they knew exactly what was happening right so it's yeah. a it's, it's predictable part, it. part of it yeah mm-hmm. so back to
3: that that client it, it, it instead focused on okay well if something does happen again um you know just trying to focus on his ability to navigate through that so there might be some uncertainty that happens but um you know, he has traits and characteristics that can help him respond accordingly. So that's kind of what we focus on before, because in his mind, um, it is still kind of risky um to drive. So we, we kind of focus our attention that kind of way. So, yeah. I, I, and I, I, good
2: um, point. I was just going to say, I, th- I feel like it's even simplifying it more. Like when we try to help someone say, you know, yeah, what are the chances that will happen again, or it'll be okay. Like, or, Like, we try to go with some probabilities, but ultimately, you can't guarantee anything. Anything can happen Mm -hmm. at any time. And that's hard when clients are trying to get through things or, you know, get out there. If anxieties are coming up and you're like, right, I can't actually reassure you of anything, but we can do your best to help you deal with whatever would happen. But
1: yeah, Yeah. exactly. Right. We we don't we're not future tellers. We can't. like guarantee to a client that something bad's not going to happen, but we can try and help teach them the skills to manage whatever does happen to them. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And I think he would support that in terms of uh, yeah. some of his messaging, right? Yeah. Is what are those rules that you abide by? What are those metrics? What are those things that you value? Because if you focus too much on probabilities or stats, then you might be setting yourself up for a big, a big surprise, right?
2: Yeah. But it's hard too because he does say in some ways, like with the blindness he talked about for implications for blindness, which was a narrative fallacy, which he talks about Chris, was people more focused on stories and not statistics, right? Like the the one skydiver who may his wires, they wires get connected with everyone like jumping out tandem and they pass away. And then people now think I'm if I go skydiving, that's gonna happen to me. Whereas the chances of that happening are so slim you actually do look at stats so he's saying like there's he is he wasn't he saying like the story people tend to go with stories like oh i heard this happened now that's gonna dictate whether i go to that restaurant because someone had a bug in their dish um or
1: sure.
2: um whether i tried that one thing because i know someone who had something happen to them i think yeah. that's a lot i know that totally makes my decisions with certain things um, so it
1: doesn't feel like a black swan if it's a personal connection
2: well even it's if it's more,
1: yeah.
0: Even if it's startling, emotionally startling. I mean, the, the a, a similar argument I heard a while ago was saying that you really can't learn that much from the news because if it's news, then it's probably not generalizable. Like I right? mean, you hear when you hear about a shark attack, that really raises you, oh my gosh, someone got eaten by a shark or something like that. Oh no. And then you get worried you you don't go to the beach because you're afraid of sharks. When you know sharks attack some, you know, a handful of people every year, but uh you know, smoking kills millions, you know, or something, mm-hmm. And it, but, but smoking isn't news because it's so widespread and generalized. People don't even talk about it, but a shark attack is unique and rare. And then we get uh, fixated on that. Right.
3: Yeah. Good point. So I guess he does talk about that a bit, Joe. It's a, a good distinction to make is that the way to avoid the narrative fallacies to favor experimentation, right. Mm-hmm. Over storytelling. Yeah. But I guess therapeutically speaking though, sometimes the storytelling can be beneficial. So
1: totally.
3: just for trying sure. to make that distinction. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a whole style of therapy, if not multiple styles of therapy that involve narration.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like sure. journaling, narrative therapy in itself, um, or in some cultures, storytelling is is extremely important for healing. Yeah. Well, and
0: maybe is that a difference then between like individual stories and using a a story as a like a parable or a uh something that would help to guide everybody?
3: Like like we when we
0: do when we do work with like trauma, you know, we want people to be able to maybe retell their story, uh, you know, instead of focusing on the victimhood and on the pain, maybe they're focusing on the resilience and the overcoming, something like that, right? Um which is personal story, a very important one, you know, to be able to see yourself in a different light and view your story in a, in a more empowered way. But he's talking about how you can't just take kind of a one-off story and say that's the way it is for everybody.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, your sample size is way too small.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had one guy who went into the ocean and he got killed by a shark. Okay, you know, then everyone's afraid they're going to get eaten by a shark. But the sample size is too small, right? Yes.
3: Um, yeah. Any other little tidbits information you guys picked up on? I thought it was kind of interesting. You said that um, it's better to make hundred thousand dollars a year for 10 years versus $1 million at first. And then questioning whether you're going to make any money after that. Yeah, that's true. The more, It's the more of the stability, right? The consistency you said tends to pay off. Um, he went after clinical psychologists and clinical counselors did he, uh, out of the he did expert uh out of the pool of experts we're not uh maybe not I didn't... accurate in terms of our um... here's
0: here's the bother me about that I, I get a lot of what he's talking about there i don't think he defined he did a good enough job of defining what expert was um but he said so he just kind of said okay everybody here here are the people who who uh who Claim to be experts and really are, and he went to accountants and uh, a number of other professions that are very concrete and, um, you know, farm laborers, people who really know they have an expertise in their field, and then here are the people who are not experts, claim to be experts but aren't, and he went against uh, against psychologists, counselors, and. Um, a whole bunch a of lot other of, ones, yeah. like eco- economists and forecasters, and all these different people who are yeah. kind of in the fields that he's been associated with. Right. Um, it didn't really subjective define what
1: it is. If you work yes. in a subjective field, you're not truly an expert,
0: right? Right. So yeah, I, 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 I'm not terribly offended by that, honestly, because even in in the fields of psychology and and counseling. Um, Unfortunately, even though we have something like the DSM, uh, not everybody really follows the DSM. People interpret things a lot differently. You know, they say that there, there have been studies where people have been given the same case material and come up with wildly different diagnoses, you know, 10 different therapists come up with 10 different diagnoses. So there's it's it's challenging, but I think it's it's really because of sort of the nature of the work and because the human mind is is not uh, easily defined and uh, it, it's it's it is a more subjective sort of science that we have here. I know that we, we can measure things, but you know a relationship is is not just a bunch of numbers. There's a lot of different components. It's very fluid.
1: Well, in many ways or some ways, um, each of our clients is a black swan
0: say more Brooke.
1: (laughs) Right. Maybe. Right. But they're individuals. They have their own histories. They have their own narratives. They have their own experiences. No two are going to be exactly the same. There's sure they might share similar symptoms like anxiety being felt in the heart or the stomach or whatever, but there's so much more behind it that, um, it's kind of the, a privilege or uh, an interesting part of our job we never know what's going to walk into the room or what we're going to find out that day or what a client's going to disclose and right when you think you you know it all that something else comes up and it adds another puzzle piece and but everyone's different everyone's unique everyone's their own black swan so maybe we're experts in black swans i don't
2: think
3: the author would like that very much but
2: Maybe.
3: He, he actually says, in a more general term, in the very end of the book, that human beings are, would be considered black swans from an evolutionary perspective.
1: Shut the front door!
3: Which would make sense, though, based on um, where we are today, right? So, you know, we've talked before about maybe the difference maker back then. Um, You know, I mentioned how it might be that we were able to anticipate harm and danger, and we have uh, the, the uh, frontal lobes that were more developed. And my goodness, um, a lot happened over the past couple hundred thousand years of evolution, right? as a result, kind of threw things off a bit. Yeah. um But back to the, the whole expert thing, I, I I remember him saying too, correct me if I'm wrong, that one of the reasons is we're, we're too narrow in our scope. So he said, if you talk about behavior, biologists, we talk about hormones. If you talk about, um, to a psychologist, they may talk about experiences, or I forget what he he mentioned. If you talk to sociologists, they talk about culture. So I think he was saying you have to look a little more broadly, but ultimately, he says way too subjective. So good luck to you trying to come up with any meaningful theories or approaches because there's too much unpredictability there. So I kind of picked up on it, but. Scott Miller, though remember him. He said that uh, he once uh, made it very clear that we're not the best at what we do, along with so many other professions out there. Um, and he talked about how there's elements of of therapy that lead to more benefits, like therapeutic relationship and and um, expectancy factors, and technique is part of that, of course. But he was saying there's a lot more to it than uh, just following the um, you know the manualized treatments.
0: There was, I can't remember what it was that, uh, that the author was writing about, but it, it definitely brought to mind Scott Miller. Scott Miller is a psychologist who does a lot of work in, um, outcome studies for, uh, for psychotherapy and, and therapy effectiveness. Um, but I remember Scott talking about a study that he did where he asked clinicians to rate themselves, you know, how, how, how good do you think you are, uh, As related to the average therapist, you know, are you below average? Are you average? Are you above average? Are you excellent? All that stuff. And I think he said that 90% of therapists rated themselves above average. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. That's a
1: common human trait. Yes. We rate ourselves as slightly above average.
0: Slightly above average.
1: Yeah. And the average person rates themselves as above average. Yeah.
0: And I can't remember what was the what was the thing he was measuring in the book he's talking about, but maybe it was driving or something like that. People always rate themselves as a little bit better than average. So therapists, drivers, we're all we're all a little above average. We don't want to think of ourselves as less than, right? Mm-hmm. It's Lake Wobegon for all of us. All the children above average. <laughs> so, so yes, he's basically saying that we're crappy. Uh, Predictors are <laughs> no good at predicting things, which I can I can, I can, can give some of that. Now, here's here's a saying that I, I tell to clients sometimes that uh, was challenged by this book. And it usually has to do with other people's behavior. Like someone says, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to my boss and ask for something or uh, I'm going to my partner and I want to have this talk about something and I'm, I wonder how they're going to react. And the phrase that I often use is... Um, Uh, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. I've said that a lot of times to clients, right? Um, The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, particularly when looking at other people's behaviors. Like what are they, how do you think they might respond to something? Mm -hmm. Do you think, how do you think the, the author of this book would respond to that?
2: I just don't see how he could, disagree with that though like cuz i feel like human beings are unless there's some pretty serious stuff going on can be pretty predictable or unless they're really in a boat of change or if are influenced i don't know i like we're not predictable predictable but it's not like there's um random catastrophes you know what i mean i don't know you probably wouldn't like it but i just think um i think we do learn from past stuff i think you can understand someone from the past behaviors so
1: yeah and I, I, I do think, or from the very small amount that I listened to, that the author was focused more on like events than discrepancies in people. For
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so,
1: sure. But do you, you know, but, yeah. so, like psychologically speaking, on an individual level, like I don't know if he would really have a comment on that mm-hmm. versus stock market or random acts of terrorism or um big events that might happen in life um just things that almost things that happen to you versus things that you you do or anticipate on an individual level like so if Ryan if you're consistently uh thoughtful and then I come to you with something and you're accusatory you being accusatory is a black swan
0: yeah, sure. It, it, that
1: would seem really out of the norm and odd and whatnot, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. hmm uh-huh.
1: And unpredictable and unexpected.
0: Right. Unless we saw some cracks, you know, unless there were some other things, which is, again, some of the critique of, of the book is that, you know, maybe... If you take other things into consideration, maybe you can see that there's at least a probability or the probabilities are greater that right. something might happen. Yeah.
1: Which is a little bit about what we're doing on an individual level. Cause then that might be like, oh, Ryan, what's going on with you today? Are you right? Did you sleep okay? How's the family? Anything going on? To try mm-hmm. to make sense of why the why that happened.
0: Exactly. Again, we're trying to make sense, we're trying to build a narrative around it. Oh, so now we understand when you don't have your you don't have a cup of coffee and if you, you know, yeah. have a fight with someone in the morning, then you're going to be cranky the rest of the day. Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. We like, we like to make things, help things make sense in our field, don't we? We do. From distress to emotion, you know, all sorts of emotions to even, even, even irrational thoughts. You know, when someone comes in and they're thinking something that seems wildly off, sometimes you are like, well, I wonder where that belief came from, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, of course you think that way because that's the way you were taught when you grew up, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. But yeah, I don't think that in our field we want to predict or you get into that with clients of like trying to predict the stock market crashing or winning the lottery or being in an accident or anything like that. We're not, these external events, we're not really tracking or trying to help them with those. It's more how to manage the black swans
3: yeah but also like he would warn against being too directive in in therapy for instance like being too certain like if we're trying to conceptualize what's going on we, there's a good chance there's unknowns unknowns there's might be factors we have no idea of right and there so,
1: probably is there's probably it likely
3: is so he would say be very be careful about being so he has people that i mean, economics are so like well give me some advice and he's like well i can't give you you know, well, I guess he had a bit of a system there about the 90 or 85 15 breakdown, but he was very cautious about being too directive with his clients. Sure. right? So I thought, I thought that was a good, good thing to be to recall. But
1: I guess it's so, a good reminder to stay humble, right, to really mention to people what you do know versus all the things you don't know, like, I'm not able to really speak to that because I really don't know enough to speak to it.
3: Yeah. For sure. I think it's complex, like another, you know, kind of back to what I was saying a little earlier, like he says you can stand above society in the pecking order by choice, by creating your own idea of success. Right. But in psychology though, we try to um, to look into what success looks like, what happiness contentment looks like. Right. So your idea, creating your own idea of success might actually lead to more harm for you. Right. So he doesn't really break down any practical ideas in terms of how to do that. And it's more it's higher level stuff. Like a lot of his the book is is pretty high level, right? Mm-hmm. It is. It is pretty high level. It's uh
0: uh and honestly, if I'm gonna give a, a final critique to this, I I think it's too long. <laughs> I think that his His ideas could have been told in the four hours that uh, Brooke listened instead of the (laughs) 15 hours that I did.
1: Oh man! So it's extra rough, just complete side note, tangent a little bit here. I I belong to like a book club with my friends, which is part of the reason I encourage this book club. I enjoy book club, but um, our book club is next week. So I wanted to try and get through this book before getting starting the next one. And the next book that we're reading on Audible when I downloaded it is 17 Hours. I totally thought the book was going to be like, we kind of read uh, the the previous books. If I listened to them on audible were maybe seven, eight, nine hours, 17 hours. I'm like, how am I going to get that in? Are these so novels? Just, this one's a novel. Okay. The murder mystery. Yeah. So I'm going to speed it up. But anyways, 15 hours for this book and 17 for the next book. It's a lot of listening. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, should we should we go ahead and talk about what our next book is going to be?
1: Before we do that, I would like to know what you would rate this book out of ten.
0: Oh, I think good. We, we've
1: already gone over whys. If you want to do a brief summary of Why, go for it. But I'm curious what you guys out of ten.
0: Um, I'm I'm actually going to say that I I liked I liked the unique. There's some unique material here. There's some good ideas. There's some things, some points to ponder. I like I like books that you know, even if I don't agree with them, they make me think about things a bit, you know, I, I kind of like that. So, um, but the the length and uh, some of the, the bashing of the French, um, and some other things, I'm going to give it a six and a half.
1: Wow. Okay. Joanna? Oh,
2: man. See, I just, it's it's tough because I didn't fully get through it. So I don't think I'm in a position to really... You know, I did my best to kind of look through some of the points I missed. Um, I think it's good food for thought. It was a tough read or listen to for me. But I think, you know, hey, good things to think about. Maybe some important factors to consider. Um, I like this one a lot less than the other books. i rated those around. I'm probably going for five and a half.
1: Okay. Sibo.
3: Um yeah so some some great ideas i what i mentioned earlier i don't think he wrote this for the average person i think he was trying to write something for philosophers and and you know intellectuals i i think he could have simplified things greatly and and shortened it to ryan's point i think uh for him it was a project to give him sense himself a sense of, of of meaning and purpose um so i'm curious to know what what uh his metrics were or what uh how he was creating his own idea idea of success on this, but probably doesn't quite align with what I look for in a book. But yeah, lots of interesting ideas. And I had to skip through quite a bit of it because I, I didn't understand I didn't realize it'd be such a heavy read. Uh, but I will actually go back and listen to it again or or a little more closely because it really did make me think in a lot of different ways. Um, Yeah, bit of intellectual arrogance. So the tone wasn't the most positive, but I would have to give it a 6.8.
1: Wow, you guys.
3: Just for the the ideas and how he links things together. And he did his homework on this one, that's for sure. It's jam-packed, and I gotta respect that.
1: All right. Um I'm gonna give it a four. And I think I was being generous at a four. Yeah, so I yeah. One for I, one
0: for each hour you listen.
1: One for each hour <laughs> I listen. Um objectively, there's a lot of interesting ideas that's going to make you think. Uh, vocabulary and the the writing was dense, but the the writer's voice, maybe it was also the narrator on Audible, but then uh, it came across in some ways as yeah, arrogant or unprofessional it just, I don't think it really hit. And then subjectively I didn't, I wasn't ready to read the book. I don't think cognitively I knew that was coming. So I just maybe cognitively wasn't prepared and therefore I did not enjoy it. give it a four.
3: I'm curious, Brooke, if you knew someone who was a philosophy buff, who was very theoretical, um, could this book be a nine points something in their eyes? like if it's Um, for the right person.
1: But I think that would be subjective because like that's their subjective experience. So that's why I'm like Mm. my subjective experience is definitely really low, but objectively, I still think it was really dense. Um, And then, yeah, just like the name calling in there and the intellectual arrogance and yeah, no, not, not really my favorite thing.
3: Yeah.
1: Anywho, so what are we gonna read next? Any ideas? I, I suggested we all come to the table with an idea, and I did not. I did not prep a book. To yeah,
0: I thought that we might go with something a little lighter, something a little a little less uh, dense, something a little more straightforward. And uh, and Brooke, you actually came up with the idea of taming the worry dragon, which uh, is like children's children's book which i kind of like i like it
3: what a Jurassic shift <laughs> from this one yeah i wonder if they uh sell that in audibles
0: i i don't think you'd need that in audible I think I have to be, maybe you have to buy that uh although I'm, I'm just checking right now and there there are books similar to that title i'm not sure which one you're talking about brooke because there's a few of them that are out there Taming Your Worry Dragons with a manual for children, parents, and coaches?
2: Yeah, I, think, I, I think believe so. It's usually like a, yeah, like well, I have the manual, and then I have the one where there's the worksheets that you photocopy, so it's a very, like a little coil made thing. It's not like a bound book or anything.
0: Okay, yeah, that's the one here. There's, they, I guess there's several. I guess dragons and anxiety go together hand in hand. There's another one called help your dragon deal with anxiety, train your dragon to overcome anxiety. This is where you're helping your dragon. The dragon isn't the anxiety, your dragon is is anxious and you're helping them deal with that. So there's all sorts of different anxiety dragon books.
2: Yeah, this is the one I have. Oop, can
1: you see that? Yeah, it's still quite, re- there you go. Oh yeah.
2: So it's like a little coil, This is this is on Amazon. Oh, no, I'm not available. Yeah, it's just a little spiral bound one. So, but I'm happy I'm open to any book about taming dragons.
3: <laughs> so it seems like it was written in 1990s. Is that right? No, that can't be right. From Jane Garland.
2: Yeah, Jane very Garland, CBT, Very Cole. CBT
3: focused, yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Hmm. I'm well, down this for is- it.
0: Well, we we can't get it though, Chris. That one's unfortunately.
3: Well, Joanna has one, right? Can I ship it down to you?
0: <laughs> we'll ship it to everyone who wants, wants a copy. How's that?
3: OK, so any other ideas? Or should we uh, be a wait and see scenario here?
1: Well, do you, Chris or Joanna, do you, either of you have an idea?
2: Um, I had one that I thought of. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but What Happened to You? is by Bruce Perry with Oprah Oprah why can't speak Oprah um so conversations on trauma resilience and healing I think it goes a bit into her background um anyways I just that's one that's just come out this year um so I was intrigued but I could put that That forward but yeah we don't want to decide right now we can let our listeners know first thing next week that
1: sounds Um, like an interesting one
0: it does
1: i like it, trauma books i really like bruce perry stuff um
2: and uh yeah you know, we could hey and it doesn't hurt to do something like some of us um have already done but like read before like if we think it's helpful to people who are listening um but it's always nice to read something new together mm-hmm.
0: sure oh that's a good point joe well, i guess we don't always have to go with something new to everybody
1: yeah. You know, if yeah there's one where you're like this was pivotal or really changing really made me think about something a different way or really enjoyed it or i refer this to clients all the time
0: we went we did our our book recommendation a few months ago and we could just go through that list see there's what so we learned many, there. there. Right?
1: yeah but i do think um reading newer books that are coming out that's helpful not just for readers but for us to see what's out there and what we can further recommend and
0: yeah i vote joe what happened to you i want to read that one
3: okay i'm in too yeah you okay with that seems relevant and i don't know who this oprah person is but i know who (laughs) bruce perry is
0: yes the famed psychoanalyst oprah winfrey who that is Okay. Is that okay with you, Brooke? I'm in. All right, we're into trauma, resilience, and healing. What happened to you, Bruce Perry, Oprah Winfrey? That is our next book for five weeks from now.
2: Sounds
0: good. Sounds good. All right. Well, this was uh this is good. I I like it. I like it when we don't like a book. <laughs> it's kind of nice. We we get to. Or you know, we we like some parts, we don't like other. It's a whole book, you know. There's some things we like, some things we don't. We don't have to like all of it. It's all right. Yeah. This was this was fun. <laughs> I like I like the story we told. I like the narrative we shared here today.
1: I agree. I think it all makes sense. It was predictable. <laughs> Our opinions were predictable.
0: I knew you weren't going to like this, Brooke, and you know why? Because because
1: I picked it. <laughs>
3: It was also, it was, <laughs> our, our podcast is somewhat digestible. So that was good. there has been a difference from the, the book itself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was. I understand it better now talking to you guys about it than I did when I read it.
1: Really had to debrief that one. Yeah.
0: Totally. Oh, that's great. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we should just wrap this up then for the night, if that's okay. So that's it, everybody. Like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. Send your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two or a swan. And uh, see you guys next time. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.